This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church. Stay tuned and find us online at nagsheadchurch.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Nags Head Church. You can turn in your Bibles to John 6. You know it says John 8, but it's John 6. I found it this past week. My, You know your fingers when they go up to hit the numbers on the keyboard? My fingers weren't working so good. Uh, John 6. I opened it up there. Let me just start out by saying last Sunday I began, if you were here last week, by asking you to pray for me. Um, I was both physically exhausted and emotionally drained. I was physically exhausted because the day before Saturday, Gail worked me like a dog um, at a wedding. And it was, you know, last Saturday was hot and muggy, and we were out in that hot weather, and I was toting chairs and doing all... I mean, at 10 o'clock that evening, we weren't done yet. We're moving tables and chairs away from a pool and stacking them up. And I sat down on a chair, and she said, what are you doing? I said, I'm out of gas. So I got nothing left. And she cracked the whip, and I got back up and kept on going. She let me go a little bit early. I got home about midnight. We were up in in, uh, Kerala. Got home about midnight. I had left my phone um, at home. Didn't forget. I forgot to bring it. Phone and my pager both. And I opened up my phone to see if anybody had tried to call me. And man, there were just boom, 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 call after call. People that tried to get a hold of me during the day. And I knew by the people who they were. And one call was from Dare Central, our 911 dispatch center. Something not, something uh, not good has happened because I had friends calling me too. And so one of them, I called him, it was midnight, and I said, what's going on? And he told me that a good friend had had a heart attack and died that day. So, I mean, I've been out working. (laughs) I said, look, let let me take a shower and change clothes, and I'll be down there in just a little bit. So... I got down to their house, the family's house, about 12.30 and stayed till about 1.30 and got home and about 2.30, I guess I fell asleep and got up again at 6.30 to be here, get ready to come here. So I was really tuckered and, and uh, drained emotionally. Uh, as you can imagine, you've lost friends. And, and uh, so I appreciate your prayers. Uh, they, they really did get me through. You know, what Paul said... Uh, and uh, uh, to his to his uh, to the Corinthians, he said, "You know, when when I'm when I'm weak, then God is strong." And uh, and it was evidence because I I don't usually this doesn't usually happen, but I actually got emails from some of you thanking me for the message, you know, saying God that was a message that God used in my life, and others it's let me know that you had prayed for me, and I really appreciate that. So thank you so much. We uh, said goodbye to uh, to Doug yesterday. Um, some of you may have driven by and saw the crowd at St. Andrews and saw the fire engines with the, the ladders and the flag. Some of us were there. You ought to see Ben in his Class A uniform, but he looked sharp. You'd be shocked. Um, uh, some others of you here were, were there as well. Um, at St. Andrews Episcopal Church, and I, I had a part in the, in the service and the, the night before, Phil Glick, who is the, the rector there, the, the pastor there in that church, um, 
I was in my, in my uniform, my class A uniform Friday night for the visitation, and he pulled me aside. He said, oh, tomorrow, he, says, he said, what you're wearing is fine. He said, or if you want, you can wear your vestments. Some of you don't know what that means, but that's the robes and the stoles and all that. And I wanted to say to him, my vestments are sneakers, blue jeans, and a golf shirt. So I wore my uniform. But uh, thanks for your prayers. We live in a time, I think Paul warned us about this time that was coming when he talked about people would keep teachers to themselves having itching ears. We live in a time when preachers are telling people that God's greatest desire is for our happiness. And that if you'll call on him, he'll give you happiness and prosperity because it doesn't make it, it makes sense to us in America that prosperity and happiness go along together, you know? How can I have one without the other? We think. And churches are, that are preaching a gospel of what I describe that as a gospel of self-gratification and they're told God exists. God's reason for being there is to shower us with wealth and possessions those churches are, frankly, they're full and overflowing with people. But I believe it's a shallow religion that they preach because it, as we're going to see today, it flies in, in the face of what Jesus told us would come about in the lives of those who follow him. We just sang about following him. We live in a time when I'm told as a preacher uh, don't drive anybody away by raising the bar of discipleship too high. Don't ask people to make some commitments and some surrenders in their lives. They won't come back. Even though Jesus talked a whole lot about that stuff. Don't talk about the opposition or the rejection a sold-out Christian might experience for daring to live a life different than before. I'm told that, if I, that if, what you need to do, Rick, you need to water some things down. and You need to sweeten the pot if a great church is to be built here. But you know what? Pardon me, but I read the Bible sometimes. And especially the life of Jesus, who was the most real, the most transparent, the most influential person who ever lived. And he was a man unafraid to speak the truth and live the truth because he is the truth. And when he came on the scene in Galilee, he began to search for men who wanted something greater than themselves to live for. And he showed them for three years. And he told them, he taught them, here's what it's going to take. Now, they didn't all succeed in following Jesus. Most notably, one of the 12, Judas, failed miserably. But I want, us, I want to read this passage. It's fairly lengthy, but I want to read it to you in John chapter 6. Excuse me. Yeah, that's right, John 6, verse 32. Jesus said to them, a crowd that he's speaking, if you jump back up to verse 22, a crowd was on the seashore, and he spoke to them, and he said, I assure you, Moses, and they understood Moses, he's talking to Jewish people, they know Moses. Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven. Remember the story about manna? 
He didn't give you, Moses didn't give that bread to you, but my Father gives you the real bread from heaven. For the bread of God, he's going to tell them it's not manna that you pick up off the ground six days a week. The bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said, sir, give us this bread always. That's what we want. We want life. We want the bread that comes down from heaven. And he was telling, he's trying to tell him, it's me. And he will, he'll, he'll go on with this because he knows they don't get it. So he says it just very plainly. Verse 20, verse 35, I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Now, stop for a second. He's not talking about physical hunger and thirst, is he? I did not eat any breakfast yesterday morning. I intentionally skipped breakfast, Ben, because that Class A uniform of mine is a little bit tight on me, you know? I said, I can't eat breakfast because I'm about to bust the buttons as it is. So when it was all over and uh, the ceremony, I changed clothes. First place I stopped was Subway, and I got a number one cheeseburger combo with fries. Why? I was hungry. So he's not talking about physical hunger or physical thirst. Spiritual is where he's going. As I told you, you've seen me, and yet you don't believe. And these were disciples. You, you, you don't get it yet. Have you ever been in that place? You maybe been a Christian. Maybe it was a long time ago that you accepted Jesus as your Savior, but you hear something maybe in the Word, or you read something in the Word, and you frankly say, Lord, I'm not sure I get that. Have you ever had that experience? Oh, me all the time. What? Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. Now, I know that's hard for some people to believe. But I want you to know, when Jesus, and here's a great promise to hang your hat on. He says, I will never cast out. Somebody please define never for me. Never. I don't know a better word for never than never, Ben. I guess God's got you in the front row for a reason today. <laughs> for I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him, talking about his father. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he's given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my father that, get this, everyone who sees the son and believes in him may have eternal life. And I will raise him up the last day. Now, kind of keep that phrase. I'll raise him up the last day and eternal life because he's going to repeat this stuff to them. Therefore, the Jews, not as disciples, okay, but those that are following him around, but they're not believing him, they started complaining about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, what, how, how can that be? Because they're still thinking manna and Moses. They said, they, they were saying, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I've come down from heaven? Oh, they're, neighbor, you know, they're in Capernaum right now, which is in Galilee. Right around, not far from them, is the, is the little town of Nazareth where Jesus grew up. They know Jesus. They know Joseph and they know Mary. Well, how can you say that? 
How can he say, I've come down from heaven? Verse 43, Jesus answered them, stop complaining among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It's written in the prophets. Now he's going to quote from the Old Testament. They know the Old Testament. They respect the Old Testament. They believe it's God's word, which it is. Written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. They thought you were taught by rabbis. They'll all be taught by God. What he was saying here is, catch this, he's read between the lines, he's saying, and that's me. All right? Everyone who has listened and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God, again himself, he has seen the Father. I assure you, anyone who believes has eternal life. He says it again. I am the bread of life. Your fathers, your ancestors with Moses ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. They all died. The manna didn't keep them alive forever. They died. This is the bread, he's talking about himself now. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Now he's going to say something that really freaks him out. The bread that I give will give for the life of the world is my flesh. They start whispering among themselves and they're saying stuff like, dude, he's talking about cannibalism or something. This is weird. At that, the Jews argued among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, he hears them talking. He said, look, I assure you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. But he's not talking here about physical flesh and physical blood here. He's in the spiritual thing here. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day because my flesh is real and my blood is real drink. And let me say, don't confuse this and think that if I participate in communion in a church that I have salvation. Communion is not salvation. Communion reminds us of what Jesus did on the cross. Right? Verse 56, the one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood lives in me, abides in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. It talks about living in him, feeding on him. This verse 58, this is the bread. He says it again that has come down from heaven. It's not like the manna your fathers ate. I'm not talking about a loaf of wonder bread here. It's not manna. And they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, people have been following him around, listening to him teach. There are crowds of them. This doesn't mean the twelve when it says disciples here. It just means those who are learning about Jesus, following him around. Many of his disciples heard this and they said, this teaching is hard. I don't get it. 
I can't figure out what in the world you're talking about, Jesus. Who can accept it? Can anybody? Do you understand it? Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were complaining about this, asked them, does this offend you? Then what if you were to observe the Son of Man, title for himself, ascending to where he was before? What if you see that happen? And that would happen, wouldn't it? Acts chapter 1, he ascended to heaven. They watched him go up past the clouds and he was gone. What if you see that? The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. So it's not, he's saying, it's not about observing traditions and rules. And the, He said, you can't do that. It's about a spiritual thing happening within you. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some among you. Now this is, you know, he's saying this to these disciples and he's saying there's some among you who don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who would not believe and the one who would betray him. He always knew that Judas was going to do the dirty deed. And he said, this is why I told you, no one can come unto me unless it is granted to him by the Father. Listen, listen to me. We need to be sure that we understand when we come to believe in Jesus, it's because he's Jesus. It's not because of any other reason. It's because he's God. It's because he loves us, because he died and gave his life for us. No one comes unless granted to him by the Father. From that moment, big, big verse here, from that moment, many of his, his disciples, this crowd of disciples, many of them turned back and no longer accompanied him. So then he turns to his 12. The one he's personally gone around to and said, hey, follow me. He turns to the 12 and he says, you don't want to go away too, do you? Are you going to desert me? A lot of other people. Well, look at the people leaving. Simon Peter. Peter always seemed to have, the, have an answer, not always necessarily the right one. But Peter said, Lord, who will we go to? If we don't go with you, where are we going to go? Why? Because you have the words of eternal life. We have we have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. I wonder if sometimes we're going to, Lord willing, have communion next Sunday. And I want you to think about this. I wonder if sometimes we participate in communion without ever thinking of the gravity of what we're doing. His body, his flesh nailed to the cross, his blood shed. What, is, what does it expect of you and me if we eat and drink communion? It's not just a religious tradition, is it? Is that all it is? To me, it sounds like Jesus is saying that communion is for those willing to be all in. But I don't think it's just the act of communion he's speaking of here. But he's saying to these people, listen, if you're going to follow me, it's not for the fearful, it's not for the casual believer. This teaching of his caused this crowd of disciples to be thinned out. It's, it caused them to say, this is too hard. And when he was done, many of them quit. Many of them stopped following. So let's talk about what it means to be a disciple this morning. 
Let's talk about what Jesus' call means. First of all, his call is to follow him. He called us to follow him. Let me give you some examples. It starts with that call. Matthew, the fisherman, you know the stories, I hope. Maybe not, but if you don't, let me read some verses to you. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22, as he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, we know him better as Peter, Simon Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea since they were fishermen. They were doing their job fishing and Jesus stopped and he called out to them and he said, follow me and I will make you fish for people. Now look what happened. Immediately, they dropped their nets. They left their nets and followed him. Immediately. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They're fishermen as well, and they were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called to them, essentially said the same thing to them. Hey, follow me, guys. Something bigger than you is ahead. And immediately, right then, right there, they said, Dad, we got to go. Left poor old Zebedee there to fix the nets by him. Dad, we got to go. And they left their father and followed him. Matthew chapter 8, Jesus saw large crowds around him and gave the order to go to the other side of the sea. Let's, you know, let's go to the other side of Galilee. When they got there, a scribe approached him. The scribes were the Jewish lawyers. The scribe approached him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. This man was enamored with Jesus. He looked around and saw the crowds. Maybe he had seen Jesus perform a miracle. Maybe he saw, man, everybody's up with Jesus. This is the thing to do. I will go with you wherever you go. So Jesus just looked at him and he said, okay, here, listen here, bud. Foxes have dens. Birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You want to follow me? Lord, another of his disciples said, first, before I follow you, before I go to the other side of the sea with you, let me go bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Hey, that's a hard saying, isn't it? What in the world does he mean by that? And Matthew goes on in, in Matthew, he talks about how Matthew was called. Jesus went on from there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. Matthew worked for the IRS. Everybody loves him. And, and the tax collectors, Matthew is one we know about Zacchaeus. We'll talk about him soon. They were not liked people because they pretty much could charge whatever they wanted. They would skim off the top. They got rich off of everybody's. They lived a great, wealthy, opulent living, but they stole from people and they worked for the Roman government. They were not well liked. But Jesus stops and looks at this Jewish tax collector sitting there at a tax office and he says to him, come on, follow me. Matthew got up and followed him, left his job behind. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said, and whoever doesn't take up his cross, 
cross was not a pretty little golden ornament you wore in a necklace around your neck. Cross was a means of execution. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. That's a hard saying. Listen to me. He's raising the bar of discipleship pretty high, isn't he? Would you agree with me? He's saying not everyone's going to get in on this. Write these things down, some things from these passages that I just want you to get. Jesus called his disciples to a life of abandon. Abandon. Let go of your nets. Get up from your tax collecting desk. You see, if you can't follow Jesus, if you're unwilling to let some things go that you trusted in before, their nets were their livelihood. Their nets probably for generations, Peter and Andrew and James and John, their families had for generations been fishermen. And now Jesus is saying, you've trusted in this all your life. You've got to now trust in me. And the reason is he requires our total trust, not just a little bit of it, not a portion of it. He, he requires our total trust. And listen to me, he will not share your trust. If you're going to follow him and be a disciple, he won't share your trust with anything or anyone else. And we trust in things, don't we? We trust, I'm trusting in my, my uh, annuity as I get older and closer to that magical age of retirement, you know, uh, how are we going to do this? How much money's in the, in the pot? What am I trusting in? He called his disciples to a life of surrender. Matthew left a lucrative job. Describe that said, I'll go with you anywhere on this earth. Probably didn't. After he was told, well, here's, you know, you're probably going to have to sleep on the ground and look up at the stars at night. No roof over your head. It gets chilly at night in these hills. What he was saying was that there's something more important than burying your father. And, and that we, we strain at that. Well, and Jesus not like family? What was going on here? Don't get caught up in what he said. Get caught up in what he meant. Here's what he meant. Can you really call me Lord? The Greek word for Lord is the word kurios. It means owner. It means you have control of everything about me. Can you really call me Lord and then say, but first, follow me. Oh, Okay, Lord, but first, have you just called him Lord? Have you said, no, right now I'm Lord because I've got to do what I've got to do? That's raising the bar, isn't it? Jesus called his disciples to die. Take up your cross. Of course he knew the oppression and the persecution that, that these guys, these 12, 11, plus Paul and some others, he knew what they were going to deal with in the coming years. Most of the 11, the only one we're sure of that didn't die of execution was John. All the rest of them, we think, probably died horrible 
deaths, whether it was crucifixion or stoning or having, or having their heads cut off. He knew that. He knows about what's going on in Somalia, and he knows what's going on in Iraq and Syria. He knows about what Christians are enduring in China and Korea. He knows, and he knew. Well, here's our question. I'm in 21st century North Carolina, U.S. of A. If I follow Jesus, if I really become his disciple, I'm going to have to die like that? And the answer is, Probably not. We're blessed. Probably not. But he still calls me to die. Take up your cross and follow me. He still calls his disciples to a death, but it's not a physical death necessarily, but it is mandatory, this death, if you continue to follow him. Last week, we we looked at the story of the disciples. Remember the story of the disciples in the boat during the storm, and they thought they were going to sink. And Jesus is in the boat taking a nap. He's one of those guys that could sleep through anything. He's in the boat taking a nap, and, and they thought they are going to die, so they wake him up. Lord, don't you care? We're all going to die. And that thought of death scared them to death. And Jesus said, well, why are you afraid? You shouldn't be afraid because I'm in the boat. Well, couldn't he sink and die too? No, because the plan was for him to die on a cross, not at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. And he knew that. It's okay, guys. I got this covered. Peace be still. Anybody want to go water skiing? It's like glass right now. The death that we're called to die as as disciples is death to ourselves. It's the realization that this really, this life, it really isn't about me, but it's about Christ in me. Paul talked to the Romans in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. You're probably familiar with that verse. He said, become living sacrifices. Those two words don't go together because a sacrifice is something put to death on an altar. He said, I want you to be living I want you to be sacrificed, but I want you to be continue to be alive, continue to live your lives. To the Galatians, he said it this way. Galatians 2.20, my old self has been crucified with Christ, nailed to the cross, put to death. My old self, who I was before I became a Christian, Paul says, that guy's dead. It's no longer I who live but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body. Everybody tap yourself somewhere. You know, this earthly body. That's what he's talking about. I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God, not in anything else. By trusting in the Son of God who loved me, and get this, who gave himself for me. He died so I could live. So the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 15, 31 is the correct verse. Paul just simply said this. I die every day. What is he saying? Just like what he said to the Romans, every day I get back up on that altar and make my sacrifice afresh. Lord, today, it's not about me. Today, I realize I've been nailed to the cross with Jesus, so would you please live your life in me? May I live my life in you. 
Jesus said it this way in John 12, 24, I assure you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, talking about a seed, you plant the seed, it goes into, unless it goes into the ground and dies, it remains by itself, but if it dies, it produces a large crop. What was Jesus saying in your notes? His disciples are productive. See, we're not called simply to produce a good life. We're not called simply to produce a life of good deeds, in the, although that's part of it. And not everyone who believes will become disciples planted in good soil. Jesus taught this. Look with me at Luke chapter 8. In a parable that he taught about the ground, about dirt, and about seeds. Luke chapter 8, verse 4. A large crowd was gathering and people were flocking to him from every town. He said in a parable, he told a story, a sower, a farmer, went out to sow his seed. And as he was sowing, some fell along the path on the hard ground where everybody walked. It was trampled on. and The birds of the sky ate it up. Other seed fell on the rock. When it sprang up, it withered since it lacked moisture. Other seed fell among thorns. The thorns sprang up with it. And choked it. Still other seed, this is the fourth kind of seed, fell on good ground. And when it sprang up, it produced a crop a hundred times what was sown. That's productive, isn't it? And he said this, he called out, anyone who has ears to hear should listen. His disciples asked him, okay, so what does this parable mean? He said, the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given for you to know. But to the rest... It's in parables so that looking they may not see and hearing they may not understand. This is for you who are following me. Let me explain it. Verse 11, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. The Bible, the, the gospel. The seed along the path. Birds came and got it. Those who have heard the word and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. They never believe. The seed on the rock are those who, when they hear, welcome the word with joy. They accept the word of God with joy, he says, but having no root because there's rock below. These believe for a while and depart in a time of testing. These are the people who believe, and I believe are genuinely saved, but when something comes up in their lives that throws a curveball at them. They wonder, God, what happened? Where are you? I thought you were going to fix this in my life. And they turn away from the Lord. Verse 14, as for the seed that fell among thorns, these are the ones who, when they have heard, they go on their way and are choked. These, these believe, but they, the thorns grow up and they're choked with worries, riches, and pleasures of life and produce no mature fruit. These are the Christians who believe, but the cares of the world become more important to them than the things of God. It chokes the life from them. But the seed in the good ground, these are the ones who, having heard the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it, and by enduring, bear fruit. The key to being productive, how do I become a productive disciple? The key is abiding in Christ. One more scripture in John chapter 15. John 15, beginning of verse 1. Christ said, I am the true vine. My father is the vineyard keeper. 
Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You ever prune your shrubs? Ever prune a tree? What happens after you prune it, Betty? It looks kind of pitiful for a while, doesn't it? But then the spring comes back, and man, it's bigger than ever before. The Lord prunes us, so we'll produce more fruit. You're already, a clean, you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to. You're already saved. You're already given my righteousness. But I want you to remain in me and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. He's saying the same thing about, he was talking earlier about eating my flesh and drinking my blood, being with me every day, participating with me all the time. If anyone does not remain in me, he's thrown aside like a branch and he withers and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they're burned. He's not talking about hell there. He's just saying, you're not going anywhere with this life. You're in the, in the heap. My words remain in you, and, and my words, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this. Why? That you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. We prove to be his disciples by what? Producing fruit. And we produce fruit because we Abide in him. Abiding in Jesus is what a disciple does. It's the same concept as being rooted in good soil. And here's the thing, church, please listen to me. Nobody can make us do that. No one can make you do that. It doesn't happen if you're attracted to God for reasons less than the fact that Christ has something to give you, life, forgiveness, joy, and maybe taking up up your cross. If you're going after him because it's the popular thing to do, you're going to wither up. If you're going after him but you want to hold on to the world at the same time, you're going to wither up. It isn't for the faint-hearted. It's still, it isn't for those who want to hold on to the world or their old life with one hand and say, and with the other, I'll try to be a Christian. Because here's what will happen. You're going to end up letting go of one or the other, and chances are you're going to let go of Christ and hold on to the world. I see it happening around me all the time. Some of you are almost there. But realize today that the king of kings who's given you eternal life because you believed is right now, please hear, he's calling you to put your hand to the plow and not look back. And his promise is to walk ahead of you, right in front of you, so that you can follow him step by step through what might be a difficult life. Why would you not accept that call? Let's bow for prayer. With your heads bowed, listen, this series, these nine more weeks, we're going to learn about the life a disciple lives. It starts next week with change. 
our Connection Group series parallels it. I hope you'll be faithful every week, both in our worship gatherings and in a group. He call, Listen, he calls me not only to be a disciple, he calls me to make disciples. And that's our goal here at Nag Said Church, to help everyone who believes follow Christ. And I hope and I pray, Lord, I hope and I pray that this church will make you proud that we'll do what you've called us to do, that we'll be like Peter and Andrew and James and John and Matthew and so many others that we're going to read about in the coming weeks, that we'll realize we, we just have a short period of time here on this earth, and the most important thing I can do in this time that I have is to follow you in my family, in my job, in my friendships, to follow you. If there's someone today, Lord, that has never put their faith and trust in you and has that eternal life, I pray that they would realize that's the first step they need to take. To be given brand new life by accepting Jesus Christ as Savior. For those of us who already have, I pray that right now we're really thinking, we're wrestling with this whole idea of am I ready? to take up my cross? Am I ready to abandon? Am I ready to surrender? Am I ready to let go of the nets and put my faith totally trusting in you every single day? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church. Love God, love others, reach the world. 